Good morning, church. It's good to be here. For those of you that are here, please stand up. Let's proclaim the goodness of the Lord today. Heaven thunder and the world was born. Life begins and ends in the dust you form.
church is alive. The church is alive. Good morning, familia of Wheaton Bible Church. It is good to be here this morning. For those of you who are here, I'm so glad to see you. For the last few weeks, I've been leading worship in, in our Tri-Village campus, and I'm just so glad. I haven't been here with us in a service with people. It feels different. I've been singing to cameras for the last four months with the rest of the band. And today, to have you here, just my heart rejoices. And for those of you who are watching home and you are joining us from wherever you are, it's just a blessing to know that we are worshiping the Lord together. Even in the distance, our God reigns unstoppable. And the church is alive and well because Jesus is King and Lord and He's our shepherd and He's going before us. He's going before us. I was reminded this morning of Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And then the psalmist starts describing the danger all around him. In his case, a visible enemy. In our case, invisible enemies. And then he's there. he says this in verse 4. But one thing I ask of the Lord. One thing. This is my priority. This is my number one thing that I will search and seek with my whole heart. That I will be in the presence of the Lord forever. To gaze at his beauty and to know that he is God. So this morning, let's worship the Lord. Yes. Let's proclaim that He is with us. Let's retell the story of the gospel. Jesus, your name is worthy. Oh, Jesus, we worship you. Darkness ran for 
my offer, my maker, my ransom, my savior, my refuge, my hiding place. And you're my help, my healer, my blessing, redeemer, my answer, my saving grace. And we will not fear. You're my hope in the shadows, my strength in the Colossians 3 says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life appears, you also will appear with him in glory. This morning we are going to dive into kind of a difficult topic. We're going to look at what scripture has to say about money. And I am the first to admit that uh, this is something that I struggle with. I am not always a cheerful giver. I struggle to trust that the Lord is going to provide for me and my family. I struggle, like that verse said, to set my mind on things above, not on earthly things. And I'm reminded that my worth is not in what I own. My worth is not in money. My worth is in Christ. Because I have died and my life is hidden with Christ. And so this morning we acknowledge that he is the source. He is our worth. And we boast in Christ alone because we know that we are loved by him and that's enough. And so, Father, we come before you, we worship you, and God, we praise you that we don't have to rely on the things of this world, Lord, 
but that our inheritance is with you, Lord in heaven. And God, we can claim that every day. God, would you make us confident in that this morning? Would you remind us of that this morning? That our worth is in you.
There's something about experiencing the presence of God in a, in a unique way. There are many times in which God chooses to show himself in a, in a unique way, in a, in a way in which we, we don't know, we, we just don't know up here that he's with us, but that we feel that he's with us. And one of those times in church history and in the Bible in which Christians can experience the presence of God is during communion. Now, as you know, for the, because of the pandemic, we haven't been able to celebrate communion for the last uh, four months already. But as a church, we believe that communion is an ordinance, a Christian ordinance, meaning that it's something that has a special meaning and, and it ought to be celebrated as much as we can. It is because of that that we have decided then that next week we're going to celebrate communion. And what I want to do is for those of you that will be uh, worshiping with us in presence or for those of you that will be worshiping with us in, online, I, I want to prep you for that. So if you're going to be at home, worshiping from home, this is what I want you to do. I want you to... Um, uh, buy some sort of uh, grape juice or whatever juice you think is, is going to be good for you and the family. This juice that is going to make you feel that this is a feast and a celebration. I want you to get some sort of dry bread like crackers or something like that. Um, and I want you to use uh, small cups and, and break the bread into pieces and wait for us to, to join you together as we celebrate communion here in our campus. Now for those of you that are going to be here next week, I want you to know that you will receive a cup. We have purchased a special uh, uh, cup, a secure cup that nobody else is going to touch but you. And you will receive that at the entrance. And I want you to hold it, bring it, bring it in, and, and come and join us. And I'll, I'll let you know, and we will guide you how, to, how we celebrate communion. Now, the reason why we want to prep you for it is because I, we want you to know that we're thinking about everything we can, so this is a safe celebration. Uh, so prepare your heart, your heart for it. Uh, ask the Lord to use it in mighty ways. And come or join us online so we can celebrate together. Amen? Amen? Let us pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you are a personal God. You are not a God that is divorced of your creation. You're a God that is with us. The Bible says in Matthew 28 that you will be with us until the end of the world. We are never, never alone, even when we feel lonely. And in your grace and sovereignty, you choose to show yourself in different ways, many times because of the circumstances we go through. Lauren, during this season, um, we need so much of you. We need our minds to be reminded of who you are and what you do. 
We need our hearts to be affected by the reality of your power, your presence. And we need you. We need you in our head. We need you in our heart. And we need you in our emotions. Therefore, Lord, I pray for specific for those brothers and sisters that are struggling for different reasons during this season. We know that we have brothers and sisters that are sick. We know that there's brothers and sisters that are uh, experiencing uh, financial issues. We know that there's uh, people going through depression and anxiety because of isolation and so many other different things. Lord, and I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you show yourself to us. This is your church, and this is your people. And you promise, Lord, to be with us until the end of the world. Please, Lord, reveal yourself to us. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that you have given us to continue to contribute to the kingdom through offering, online giving. Lord, we pray that you continue to do that. Lord, continue to use your church and the finances of your church for the glory of your name, the joy of your people, and the salvation of the lost. We trust you. We love you. We are expectant of what you're going to do in us and through us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we all say, you may take a seat. Good morning, it's so great to worship with you today. I'm Michael and I serve with our creative team. I wanted to give you an update on our senior pastor search. Since Pastor Rob announced his retirement earlier this year, a volunteer search committee and search coalition have been meeting with many of you and earnestly praying and seeking God's will for our next senior pastor. Recently, the job posting was made public on the Vanderbloemen website, our partner in the search process. While the search committee is not done in connecting with members of our church for their input, we want you to be praying for our next senior pastor and to share your thoughts with the committee. Here's some of the prayers being prayed for our next pastor by the search committee. My name is Christy Lucas. I serve in adult communities and children's ministries here at Wheaton Bible Church. My hope is that our love for each other and our faith in God would grow as we follow his leading to our new senior pastor. Hi, I'm Larry Robinson. My family and I have been members of Wheaton Bible Church for about 10 years. It is my hope that God will send us a pastor whose heart is grieved by the current brokenness of our nation and believes in the spirit of 2 Chronicles 7.14, that God has uniquely equipped the church to be facilitators of our nation's healing. That scripture reads, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. Me llamo Baruch Vergara y soy líder de voluntarios del Ministerio de la Tienda de Navidad de Iglesia del Pueblo. Mi deseo con este proceso de búsqueda de nuestro pastor principal es poder estar todos como congregaciones unidos en un mismo espíritu de humildad, de unidad y de reverencia ante Dios para poder escuchar su palabra, escuchar su guía y de esa forma poder elegir nuestro pastor principal en un futuro cercano. CareFest is this Saturday. The summer's flying by, and if you haven't yet signed up for a team, go do it right now. Take a listen to one of the projects we're working on this weekend. 
Good morning, Wheaton Bible Church. I'm Simone Halpin, the Executive Director of Naomi's House, and we are so excited again this year for CareFest. Naomi's House exists because every woman who has been commercially sexually exploited deserves a new start. And so for several years, Wheaton Bible Church has partnered with Naomi's House on CareFest to help us in the yard. If you partner with Naomi's House, you'll be doing projects throughout the yard that help make this a sanctuary for the women who live here. There's still time to sign up, so go to wheatonbible.org slash carefest to find a project that works for you. And don't worry, COVID precautions are in place to create a safe serving environment. We are so excited to see you on August 8th. While your participation in CareFest is essential to making an impact in our community, having the materials and tools to complete projects is also essential. Each year we partner with local businesses to have supplies donated, but part of your giving also goes to support these projects. If you're able, would you take a moment right now to prayerfully consider giving or setting up a recurring gift to support ministry through Wheaton Bible? You can easily do this by visiting our website, wheatonbible.org give, or mailing a check to the church office. Thank you for being a partner in ministry here. That's all for today. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. We hope you have an amazing week. All right, good morning, familia. That was so lame. Good morning, familia. Listen, there's only a few of us, but that doesn't mean that you have to be all depressed. We have hundreds and hundreds of people online also joining us in worship. Uh, my name is Hannibal Rodriguez, one of the teaching pastors here at church, and I wanted to welcome you again. If you are part of this campus, if you're part of our Tri-Village campus, if you're part of one of our services, uh, Iglesia del Pueblo, uh, contemporary service, traditional service, if you are part of the church somehow, I want to welcome you. You have no idea. Every time I get here, I'm super excited about being with you, worshiping with you, getting, uh, getting to know some of you, and actually allowing the word to speak into to our hearts. If you are not part of our church, our church, and you're visiting for the first time, or if you're joining us online for the first time, I want you to know that we are here to serve you. We are here to love you. Please let us know if there's anything we can do for you. Now, today we're finishing our series based on the book of Proverbs called Wisdom for Life. And we have been walking through this book, talking about important su subjects and important things that the book of Proverbs uh, emphasizes. Uh, but the last time I was preaching here, I talked about justice, what the book of Proverbs says about justice. And today I have been given the topic to talk about wealth. So somebody wants me to lose friends. Those are two very complicated, sensitive topics. On the other hand, as a pastor and as a preacher, if the Bible talks about it, I have to talk about it. So if by the end of the sermon you don't like what I say, blame it on God, not on the preacher. Amen? All right, so let me tell you why this is such a sensitive topic. Because wealth is a sensitive topic. Wealth is one of those things that has all kinds of opinions and perspectives uh, there is, the church has been divided because of this. There's people all over the place when it comes about this topic. Um, but I want to argue that the people that have issues with this topic is the people that have issues with money. 
not necessarily with the topic. If the Bible talks about wealth, it doesn't matter how you feel or I feel about this. We got to talk about it because the Bible talks about it. Now, let me start by giving you a definition of what the word wealth means. What I mean when I use the word wealth. So for those of you that are joining online, I want you to pay attention to this even though you're not here. Wealth, according to the book of Proverbs, is not about just you having things that you need. That's not wealth means in the book of Proverbs. Wealth in the book of Proverbs means when you have more than what you need. That's what I mean by the word wealth. Is when you have abundance of material possessions, much more than what you actually need. Now, why do we need to talk about this? Is because something tells me that most of us, if not all of us, are wealthy people. Listen, if you have a TV at home, you are wealthy. If you have more than one pair of shoes, you are wealthy. If you never go to sleep without eating, you are wealthy. And if you are wealthy and I am wealthy, based on that description, then we must talk about this. Because wealth, it's a blessing, but it can become a curse. So this is how we're going to address the topic. These are my three points uh, for today. We're going to talk about the goodness of wealth, the dangers of wealth, and the secret of wealth. Goodness, dangers, and secret. Let's go with the first point, goodness. Um, let me start with this. Um, over the last two decades in church history, there has been two wrong theological approaches when it comes to wealth. In the last 20 years, more or less. Maybe a little more. Um, and, and the reason why I'm saying that, it, that they're wrong is because supposedly they get these ideas out of the Bible, but I believe that they get them out of context, and they don't take into consideration what the entire Bible says about this. And what I'm talking about, these two wrong theological approaches is what I call, some people call, the prosperity gospel and the poverty gospel. It's the two extremes. The prosperity gospel, the proponents of the prosperity gospel believe that wealth, money and material goods, is the sign of God's blessing upon his people. The prosperity gospel people say that if you have money, that is the sign that God is pleased with you. And they also believe that all Christians supposed to be, have material possessions. That all Christians are supposed to have money. That all Christians are supposed to have everything. You know what the problem is with that? That the Bible is full of examples of people in which God calls his people to renounce their goods. To surrender their money and it is a blessing. That's the problem with the prosperity gospel. The problem with the prosperity gospel is that um, they ignore that there's a bunch of different people in the Bible that are blessed even when they are in need. That's a problem. It's a problem if you think that you're only blessed by God only when you have things. The other problem is that the Bible is full of examples in which many times prosperity, money, good things, and a lot of things is more like a curse than a blessing. That's the issue with the prosperity gospel. And in my opinion, if you have heard me preach before and you know me a little bit, you probably know that I'm not known for being an angry preacher. I'm a passionate preacher, but not an angry preacher. 
But if there's one thing that makes me angry and that I hate with all my heart, and I mean it, is the prosperity gospel. Because it's a, it's a biblical heresy. Even though those two words shouldn't be together. It is, it is, it is a, a, a theology that, ha, that is affecting people left and right. It is it's one of the fastest growing wrong theologies in the world. Let me tell you why I hate it so much. And I mean it when I say I hate it. Because it makes people, good Christians, people that love the Lord Jesus, makes, makes them feel that God is against them if they don't have material possessions. That's awful. Part of the reason why I struggle with this so much is because they teach people to be, to give and to be generous, but not because it's a good thing and it's a biblical thing, but they give it so God will bless them. It's almost like if they have this idea that if I give something to God, he must give me something back. It's almost seeing God as this divine vending machine. That's why it's so wrong. It is wrong because then you have a bunch of people that if they don't experience this material prosperity, they feel that there's something wrong with them. And then you got all these prosperity gospel people saying to these people, there, there's got to be something wrong with you. There's got to be a sin in your heart. There's got to be something that you must confess. Because if you confess, God will bless you with things. Interesting enough that, uh, that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, seems to be that he was a poor man. Now that's on one extreme, the prosperity gospel. The other extreme is what we call, and people have called, the poverty gospel. That is almost a response to the prosperity gospel. And this group of people believe that um, it's almost like a, uh, like a contemporary form of Gnosticism. They, they devalue the true goodness of the material world. What I mean by that is that these people feel and understand that if they are poor, then they are spiritual. And the more poor you are, the more spiritual you are. You know what the problem is with that one? That is not in the Bible either. There's a good ex uh, number of examples in the Bible in which people have a lot, and yet they're truly devoted to God. The problem with that is that there's good examples in the Bible in which people are wealthy, but they use their wealth for the right purposes, with the right motive, for the right goals, for the glory of God and the glory and the well-being of other people. The problem with the poverty gospel is that they ignore that the problem is never material things. Listen up, church. The problem is never how much money you have or don't have. The problem is never the size of your house. The problem is never the car you have, whatever you have. The problem is always your heart. The problem with wealth is not wealth itself. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with wealth. What is wrong is how we use our wealth. So I think that this, the, the prosperity gospel is not the solution, and the, the poverty gospel is not the solution. There's got to be something else. And this is where I think that the book of Proverbs really helps us, because it's going to show us that wealth is something good, created by God, given by God for God's purposes. Say it again. Wealth is good because it's something created by God, given by God for God's purposes. A good example of this we find in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 18. 
And it says, go back over there. With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. Notice that it says that it is the Lord, the one that gives riches, wealth, and prosperity. The reason why the book of Proverbs could say that is because in the book of Genesis, chapter 1 and chapter 2, it tells you that God created material things and that he found them good. There's nothing wrong with good things. God gives us things to enjoy and to flourish. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with things. It is the Lord, the one that gives riches and wealth and prosperity. Once again, the problem is not with things, it's with our heart. The problem is not that the Lord gives a lot. The problem is our heart. The problem is not that the Lord gives you some. The problem is that we see those things created as the ultimate things instead of God. So listen to what this author says. We cannot love both God and wealth as the ultimate, or as ultimate. But we should enjoy his good gifts, listen up, and pursue them in the right order and according to his calling. You shouldn't feel guilty if you have things. You shouldn't feel guilty if you enjoy your things. The problem, you should feel guilty if those things become the ultimate thing. You have permission to have things. This is one of the reasons why one of the commandments in the Bible is you should not uh, covet. That means that you are entitled to your own things. Part of the problem here, though, is that there's this tendency to confuse wants with needs. This is what I mean. And you guys could, let's see if you guys agree with me. I think that after you spend so much time thinking about material things, you start to think of those things not as needs, but as, not as one, not as needs, but as wants. So for example, uh, let's say this is, I've seen this over and over again. When you see something on the street, when you see something on TV, when you see a commercial, when you see a car, when you see whatever, you look at it so and so much. You desire that thing and so and so much that you change the wording. No longer is, I would like to have a pair of shoes. Now is, I need those shoes. That's part of the idea. It's when we confuse things and we, we mix them between a want and a need. So John Newton, for example, used to say that um, whatever you have is what you need. If you don't have it, it's because you don't need it. I think that if we were, all, we were all to believe, if we all believe that, our life will be completely different. Whatever you have is because you need it. And if you don't have it, you don't need it, even though you think you do. Look at here, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22. The author calls wealth a blessing. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. Notice once again that he says that it is the Lord that brings wealth. And the reason why he calls it a blessing is because it's not something that you have to work hard for it. It's a gift. That's the thing with blessings, people. If it's a blessing, you don't have to work for it. It's a gift of God. It's because of the grace of God. So whenever we need something and we have to work so hard for it, I wonder if that's actually a gift. Because all the blessings of God are gifts. We don't deserve them. 
We don't work for them. There is goodness in wealth because God gives it. It is a blessing when we use it and view it right. It is a gift of God. Now, before I move on, I, when I was prepping for this, I was thinking about some of the reasons why I love this church so much. Now, if you're connecting with us for the first time, you might, you might think, well, Hannah was about to start bragging about the church. And listen, you're right. I am going to brag about this church. Because the Lord has given us a good number of people that really understand that wealth is good as long as you use it for the right purpose. So this is the reason, because we have a bunch of people that believe in generosity and believe that, that uh, wealth is good. This is the reason why we as a church can support about 90 missionaries around the world. This is the only reason. No, no, not yet. Hold it, hold it, hold it. Wait until the end. Watch here. This is the reason why we have this ministry called Puente del Pueblo. This is the reason why we have an after-school program in Puente, summer school program, college program, social work services, ESL, Spanish literature, people. This is the reason why we have this beautiful and amazing temple that I hope to see full very soon. This is the reason why we have all of our ministries, life groups, Bible studies, support groups, men, women, children, and students. This is the reason why during this pandemic, you probably don't know this, but during this pandemic, between benevolence, everything that we have done with our, with our local partners, the extra support we have given missionaries, and everything else that we continue to do through Puente and through our relationships, is probably, probably somewhere between almost half a million dollars in the last four months to support community. This is one of the reasons why I love this church. Because we got a good number of people that believe that there's goodness in wealth and because we want to use it right. Now you can clap. <laughs> wealth is a blessing. Wealth is a good thing. The Lord gives it, the Lord uses it. So if you're part of that group, I want to say thank you. But let me turn the page a little bit. Because when you read the entire book of Proverbs, you realize that there are more verses that talk about the dangers of wealth than the blessings of wealth. Listen up, church. There are more verses that talk about the dangers of wealth than the blessings of wealth. The question is, why? Well, this leads me to my second point. Um, and what we're going to see here is that there is a reason why this is such a big issue. This is a reason why Jesus talked about money more than anything else. There's something about wealth, material possessions, money. There's something about this that has the ability to change our hearts if we're not careful. So based on the book of Proverbs, I want to give you four things that I find in the book of Proverbs that, that explain why is it that wealth can be such a danger. Four reasons. Number one, wealth has the potential to substitute God. Number two, wealth has the potential to affect your character. Number three, wealth has the potential to, want, to lead you to sacrifice people. And number four, Wealth has the potential to become an idol. So look at the first ones of those. Wealth, has, wealth is dangerous because he has the potential to substitute God. Look at verse eight, uh, chapter 8, verse 19. 
He said, my fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. And look at what the Lord is saying. That all the spiritual blessings he gives, that all the spiritual blessings God gives are much better, infinitely better than fine gold and choice silver. That all of the spiritual blessings God gives are much more better, much more beautiful, much more fulfilling than any material blessing. If you don't know what the spiritual blessings of God are, let me just give them to you really quick. It's everything Christians have in Jesus and because of Jesus. All the spiritual blessings as Christians is that you have been justified, you have been forgiven, you have been accepted, you have been adopted, you have been loved, you have been redeemed, you have been restored, you have been everything that when God looks at you, looks at you through Jesus, there's no way that God could love you more than what he loves you in Jesus. Those are the spiritual blessings, much better than any material blessings. Amen. You can give him glory. If you, want to, if, you want, if you really want to know more about that, you just got to pay attention to the, spiritual, to the spiritual fruit. Not the spiritual fruits, but the spiritual fruit, singular, which is love, joy, peace, perseverance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is much better than anything else. This is what you can find in places in the world when people have nothing, but they're believers and have it all. This is how you can explain that a Christian can lose it all and have it all. Because those are the primary blessings that we have in Jesus. You know what the problem is? The problem for many of us, including the preacher, is that sometimes, sometimes we elevate the gifts above the giver. And that sometimes we like much more what the giver gives than the giver himself. Actually, we can do that so and so much that we could get to the point where we actually question who is God. Wealth substitutes God. Look at here, verse, chapter 30, verse 9. It says, I, this is a prayer. It says, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Can you see it? Your wealth can actually make you question who was the one that gave you everything you have? Your wealth can take you to a place where you feel pride because of everything you have. Wealth can take you to a place in which you ignore, ignore that everything you are and everything you have is because of the grace of God. You know, one of the greatest problems that I have when people um, have issues with giving away things and giving away money is because this is what pe some people may argue. is I work for this. I work so hard for this. You know, it was my gifts and my talents and my abilities, but this is what I have to question all the time. Let's say that you have wealth, and you have wealth because, uh, because of the parents you had. Who gave you those parents? Let's say that you have wealth because you were born in this country. You didn't choose that. God chose that for you. Let's say that you think that you have wealth because of your talents and skills and abilities. But you got to ask the question, who gave you that? 
You know that if you were born in a different place and a different time, you would not have the wealth that you have today. If you were born in South America or in Africa or in different places of the world where there is not the things that we have here, you would not be as wealthy. Part of the issue is that we forget that everything we are and everything we have is a gift of God. It is because of his grace. Wealth has the potential to help us substitute God. Wealth has the potential to affect your character. Look at this verse, uh, chapter here, chapter 13, verse 11. It says, dishonest money uh, dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. This is an interesting um, passage, interesting verse, because it requires a little bit of thinking. The word dishonest there in the Hebrew, is the, is, it can be translated as money out of the air. This is what the text is saying. That in our desire to get wealthy, what we can do is, is, is to sacrifice character. Is that what people pursue, especially in the secular world, what people pursue is actually easy money, money that just come out of the air. Here, this is the reason why there's a bunch of YouTubers that are so famous. Listen, if you want to become famous and you want to make a lot of money, you need one of these two things. Either you need to be extremely creative and do something online that people are going to love, or you're going to do something really dumb that people are going to like and people are going to follow. Those are the two options. So when my daughter tells me, I think I'm going to become a YouTuber, I'm like, you know that's a one chance in a million. But this is the problem. That easy money doesn't build character. This is the same problem that we have with some of the athletes. If they have the skills and the ability and they, be they become famous really quick and they have success really quick, but when, once they retire, everything they had goes away. Listen, 60% of the NBA players go broke within five years of departing the league. In five years, they lose everything. 78% of the former uh, NFL players experienced financial distress two years after retirement. Do you know why? Because the love of money and the love of possessions and wanting to get wealthy and, get, and, and having to, um, wanting to have a lot of things fast does not build character. Wealth has the potential to affect your character. Look at chapter 11, verse 1. The Lord... Detest dishonest scales, but uh, accurate weight finds favor with him. Wealth has the potential to compromise integrity. The love of money has potential to compromise your integrity. If you're a business owner, maybe you don't pay your people what you're supposed to pay. Maybe you don't pay taxes the way you're supposed to. Maybe you cheat here and there. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, you claim that you work this, but you never work that. There's something about the danger, about the love of money, and, the, and about wanting to have a lot of things that can lead you to a place in which you will actually compromise integrity. This is why money, wealth, material things is so dangerous. Wealth has the potential to make you want to sacrifice relationships. Look at this verse, chapter 17, verse 1. Better a dry crust with peace and a quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. This is what that text is saying. 
it is better to have good relationships than to feast. It is better to have a house that is quiet and, 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 and full of love and peace than to have a lot of things. What good is it it will be for me to have a bigger house, a better car, a more interesting career, better looks, which I don't know how that could happen, but all of that stuff. What good would it be if I don't know how to love my family? There's one thing that I keep saying every time I talk about money. And I preach about money three times in the last three years, I believe. I think it wants me to get in trouble. But this is the thing that I've been saying. I'm yet to find a person that at the end of their days would say something like this. Man, I wish I would have worked more. Man, I wish I would have had a, bit, a bigger car and a better house. Man, I wish I would have been more successful. I'm yet to find that person. The people I've seen, the people I pastored, before they pass away, they would always say something like, man, I wish I would have spent more time with my wife. I wish I would have loved my kids more. I wish I would have put people before things. Wealth has the potential to make you want to sacrifice relationships. Wealth has the potential to turn money and material things into an idol. Chapter 10, verse 15. It says, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. The poverty is their ruin. But poverty is the ruin for the poor. This is the image right here. In ancient times, cities were protected by this humongous wall that surrounded the city. And the idea here is that when you were inside that city with these huge walls, you felt, you felt secure. And what the, proverb, what the book of Proverbs is saying is that wealthy people think that they are secure because they have money. Because they have things. They think that they're secure because the more they have, the more secure they feel. It's almost like saying, if I have this and I have that, then I'll be okay. But what the book of Proverbs is going to tell you, that that's just an illusion. It's the product of your imagination. Chapter 18, verse 11 uses the same phrase. The wealth of the rich is their four to five cities. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. It's to imagine, it's to think that because you have certain things, you will be okay. And it's just the product of your imagination. This is one of the things with wealth. This is one of the things with money that not only reveals that you can actually make money and things an idol because it makes you feel secure, but it also reveals the other idols that we may have. So the things that you buy with your money usually reveal the idols of your heart. This is what an author says. What your heart most loves and adores what he most rests in is where you most joyfully, almost addictively spend your money. This is what I mean by this. If you think that your future is secure because you have a lot of money in the bank, that's your idol. 
If you think that what is going to make you more appealing and accepted by people is your looks, then you buy clothing. If you think that what is going to give you reputation and uh, make you be accepted by people is your title, then you buy titles. If you think that what is most important is to be accepted and admired by everybody, then you you pay for a club or you pay for a membership, whatever that may be. If you want to know the idols of your heart, follow your money. See, there is goodness in wealth. Wealth is a gift of God. But at the same time, if you're not careful, it is dangerous. It is dangerous because it can easily substitute God, corrupt your character, use it as a, as a means to sacrifice people, sacrifice people, and it has the potential to become an idol and promise you something that he cannot give you, security. Don't you think that this season is a good reminder of that? It doesn't matter how much we have, how secure we are. Pandemic came, and look at where we are. Our fortress, our security, our peace, our joy must be God. Must be God. So the question for us is, how do we keep this as a balance? How do we, how do we appreciate the blessings of wealth without letting wealth control us or control our hearts? And for this, I go to my third point, the secret of wealth. And I'm going to give you three things that I think the book of Proverbs, three spiritual practices that the book of Proverbs gives us in order for us to fight this thing in our heart. We need to practice generosity. We need to learn how to honor the Lord with our wealth. And we need to welcome simplicity. Practice generosity, honoring the Lord with your wealth, and welcoming simplicity. Look at the first one here, generosity. Chapter 11, uh, verse 24. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. And this verse is talking about this principle of scattering and gathering. And if you know anything about farming, the idea is this. When you, when you give a lot, you receive a lot. That's the idea. But just in case you get the wrong idea... Let me explain what the book of Proverbs means that when you receive a lot. Look at chapter 22, verse 9. The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. Notice that he says that there's something about giving that he makes you feel blessed. What does that mean? And this is where the prosperity gospel got it wrong. See, the prosperity gospel would say that you're blessed if you get more things. But the reality is that the Bible never promised that if you give a lot, you're going to get more things back. What the, what the Bible promises is that you're going to actually see yourself as a blessed person. You know why? Because you get to see what the money that the Lord has given you can do. The blessing comes when we have this understanding. That when we give out, that when we surrender, that when we share, there is a blessing for us. And the blessing is that we get to see what the money that the Lord has given us can do. 
So here's a story. I was thinking about this this week. You know how during this season, um, if, if you have been part of the church, we always, before we ask for an offering, we share in a story about something that the Lord is doing through your generosity in different parts of the world. But this week, for some reason, I was thinking about the history of Iglesia del Pueblo as part of Witten Bible Church. Now check this out. Um, during this season, we realized that there are more people watching our services online outside the United States than inside the United States. Isn't that crazy? We have more followers as Iglesia del Pueblo outside the United States than inside the United States. Now you could say, why such a success? And this is what I could say. Because in the Spanish-speaking group, we have a bunch of people that are generous. And they support our ministries. But I also know that this could never happen if we don't have the partnership and the union that we have as a church. The reason why Iglesia de Pueblo has flourished is because we have this beautiful union like a marriage between a Spanish-speaking group and an English-speaking group in which when we lack something, our English-speaking group gives us enough for us to continue to do ministry. Now check this out. You have no idea what your generosity is doing for Latin America. You have no idea what your generosity is doing in other parts of the world. You have no idea what your money and your giving and all everything that you do is giving for people in the community. You know what it means to have an immigrant kid that is going to make it to college. That is the product of your generosity. The blessing for Christians is that we get to see what our money, the money that the Lord has given us, can do. Ain't that a beautiful thing? Yeah, give him glory. Second thing that the Bible calls us to do is to honor the Lord. Here's the word, chapter 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of all the crops. Now listen, the word honor is a really important word. I love that word because it, it, it can literally be translated as weight. It says that our giving is the way we worship the Lord by letting him know that he has weight, that he is worthy. It is because of verses like these that I know that giving is an act of worship. Now, this is where it gets complicated, people, because it's from verses like this that we get the concept of tithing, giving 10% of your income. Pay attention here. Did you know that the only parts of the Bible that talks about tithing is in the Old Testament? And if you think that because you're giving the 10%, you're doing good, let me ask you a question. Are you sure that that's the only thing you got to give? If you're an Old Testament person. Because if you pay attention to the Old Testament, the Old Testament, you're going to see that actually giving in the Old Testament, generosity in the Old Testament, honoring the Lord in the Old Testament is not just... 10% is more like 23 to 27%. This is more interesting that when you go to the New Testament, you never find the term tithing in the New Testament. Did you know that the New Testament never talks about 10% of your income? There's a reason for that. The New Testament talks about generosity. You know why? Because Jesus didn't give himself only 10%. Because it is possible for you to give 10% without you being generous. 
Listen, for some of you, generosity and worship through giving might be just 5%. That's all you could do. But there's some other of us that 10% is not generosity. It's religion. Generosity, listen up, church, is when you give so and so much that you have to trust God. That you give when you stop trusting wealth. This is how I lose friends. When I tell you that the Bible is not just about percentages. It's about us giving to the church, to ministry, to poor, to people, to people in need, to ministries like that. To give unto the point that we have to trust the Lord. Generosity, honor, and lastly, simplicity. Look at here, chapter 29. Uh, actually, look at this verse. I like this verse. This is uh, people recognizing that everything we give is from the Lord. Everything comes from you, and we have given you what comes from your hand. Everything you give comes from the Lord. It's not even yours. Now, let's go to simplicity. Proverbs 30, uh, verse 8. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. That's a complicated prayer. Because it says, all I truly need is my daily bread. And you should be okay with that. But if the Lord gives you more, you got to ask the question, why? Because that more is for his glory, his purposes, and for the well-being of somebody else. It's not for us to have more. It's to give more. How do we become people like that? Not by trying harder. Not by saying that we're going to become more generous. This is how we become people of generosity. Where we understand that we have been the product or the result of God's generosity. The reason why you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, is because God gave you Jesus first. The reason why you have been accepted is because God gave you Jesus first. The reason why you are being loved is because, is because God gave you Jesus first. The only reason why you are here today and you get to hear this message today is because God is a generous God. Such a God that gave you everything, the most valuable thing to him. His son. It is only when we embrace that. It is only when we believe that, that we want to respond to him in adoration by giving him back. Can you imagine what the Lord can do in us and through us if we were all become generous people? It's just not going to be 90 missionaries. It could be 180. It's not going to be just Puente del Pueblo. Who knows what the Lord is going to do? It's not just the little ministries we have. Who knows what the Lord is going to do? Allow the Lord to use what he has given you. Be an example of the grace you have received. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we get to talk about topics that sometimes are complicated to talk about. But we talk about him, Lord, because it's what the Bible says. We talk about him because he's what is good for us. 
We talk about it, Lord, because we know that wealth is a blessing if we use it right for the right purpose and for the glory of God. Please make of us people that are generous. Not simply because we want to be generous, but because we want to respond to your generosity first. You gave us your son. We want to give ourselves to you. You gave us your son. We want to give you everything we have. Because everything we have comes from you. In the name of Jesus we pray. And we all say? Amen. Church, would you stand with us? As we close with this song, we declare that Christ is enough. He's enough for me. He's enough for you. We live in his truth every day. He's our motivation. He's our savior. So let's respond with these words. declaration. We choose to follow him. We choose to live for him.
It is because Jesus is everything we need, one of the reasons why we believe in prayer. This is one of the reasons why every week we gather as leaders to pray for the needs of the congregation. So I want to invite you that if you have uh, needs, if you have a uh, necessity for us to pray for you, please let us know. Just text the word prayer to 630-260-1600, and I guarantee you that someone is going to be praying for you. Now, before uh, the benediction, I, I want to invite you to pray with us for the new preaching series that starts next week. We're going to do a series that's called Invisible Church. And uh, we're going to be talking about the mission and the purpose and the identity of the church and why is it that the church matters. Listen, I'm super excited about that, that series because it's going to be a reminder to all of us that there's nothing more important and nothing that changes the world more than the church and i want you to see as part of, i want you to see yourself as part of that so please come back or watch join us uh, online next week or invite others to join us as we explore what the invisible church looks like with that in mind let's receive the blessing that the generosity of god gives us in jesus christ may the lord bless you and keep you may the lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you May the Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. And we all say, Amen. have a blessed day. Thanks for coming. We love you. Church, you are sent.